Hi, welcome back to a podcast over a convenience store. I'm Joe Fremming from the Joe Down, and uh, with me is Paul Muadib from Cast That Movie. How's it going, Paul? It's going well. I got my coffee. I got my cigarettes. We watched a damn good episode. We watched one episode, which was amazing. I'm feeling great, actually. Voldemort aside. <laughs> Voldemort aside. I was so excited before we recorded this. I ate myself a big jelly donut just because, you know, fuck it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Voldemort can't prevent me from eating my jelly donuts. And uh, so, yes, we are at, after... Weeks and weeks, we have finally hit the end of season one of Twin Peaks, uh, something I have called a perfect season of television, and I stand by that. I do, too. Um, one thing I want to note before we get into that is, as you notice, this is coming a little early for you guys. Um, Joe and I have decided that we are going to make this a weekly podcast versus every two weeks. Um, so... Merry Christmas to you. Um, you guys are going to get more Twin Peaks. Um, yes, I completely agree with that. This is the one of the, if not the most perfect seasons of television. Um, you know, we took our jabs at the show over time, and we'll take our jabs more. But th- this eight-episode stretch was perfect for what they were setting up. Yes, and uh, what better way to end the season is with the architect of Twin Peaks, Mark Frost, pulling double duties of writing and directing this episode. And uh, right off the bat, because I just kind of want to, I think he did a good job (laughs) with this. Uh, The pacing is great. Uh, He tries to do his weird Lynchian things, which kind of threw me off a bit, but overall it has like a really good... The beats are really consistent. It keeps you it keeps you pretty uh, focused for a season finale. It does, and I noticed in this one that when we get to, when we start talking about particular scenes in this one, I'm going to deep dive a little bit into into Frost um, and some things because there were some. There's two things that stood out to me in particular that moved away from the con- conventional feeling of Twin Peaks into other territories that Frost has done. And I'll point those out and make my case when those occur. Um, but um, one of the cool things I'll talk about this is that Richard Hoover, who was a production uh, designer, um, said that episode seven featured some really unusual sets. There was other things in the series as well, but this one in particular, um, that the sound stages were constructed with ceilings and functional hallways, um, which was very unusual at the time, and even now for television production, which allowed actors to be filmed entering a scene without having to do cuts. You'll see that a lot of times on sitcoms, when someone is entering or exiting a scene, there's cuts because of the way the set is open. And with this one, uh, in this particular Everything was set up so that way, the way that Lynch, uh, excuse me, the way that Frost wanted to direct it and do the cinematography, he relied on very heavily and had some extra sound stages um, made up. Wow, I had no idea. I had no idea he did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did like, I, it did feel like uh, some of his background with Hill Street Blues to me and spots, just like you said, he's his background in actual television. 
Uh-huh. It felt very, you know, it felt like a compact episode in a, in a series where it's not a compact show. <laughs> yes, and I'm glad you brought up Hill Street Blues because the, there's two things in this. There's two particular scenes um, or um, in this episode that are very, 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 like, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Hill Street Blues. I rewatched it. Um, love that show. And Frost was a story writer, a story editor, and uh, one other, I forget what his other task was um, on it, um, oh, executive story editor. And so this really felt like he was leaning on several things in the show, the action sequences in the show, based upon his history of Hill Street Blues. The other thing that, to, to note, too, is that when this aired... It got 22% of the available audience. Holy. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, for people that that's don't huge. know, that's huge. That's that's like Super Bowl, that's like special event level audience viewing that you get 22% of the Nielsen ratings of the people viewing in for, the, for a hour-long show. That's giant. And this had to have been like one of the last times that actually happened since cable kind of blew up a few just a few years after this mm-hmm. i mean yes. uh, when people talk about like the mash finale because mash had a i think it was like the largest viewing viewer numbers in television in history and people try to compare that to like when seinfeld ended but when seinfeld ended there wasn't just three or four channels that by that point that by 1998 there was hundreds of channels you're competing yeah so like, you... this is like a bygone era now where one show would get that many eyeballs on it and to give you to give you a representation of that so um it, it was on abc it debuted may 23rd 1990 in the U.S., it was viewed by 12.6% of U.S. households, representing 22% of the available audience. It held the record. I don't know when it was broken, but it held the record for the most viewed broadcast in that time slot for years. Now, to give you an idea, the previous episode had 17%. So, it like people really wanted to know what was going on on this yeah, and how this was going to end for the season. Yeah, this was the show that pretty much coined water cool cooler show. People would talk about it at work. Uh, a lot of a lot of people were like, you know, it's like a central mystery. We got a lot of things going on. Yeah, and I want to mention because between this season and the next season, people were so hungry for Twin Peaks that they released the book, The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. Mm-hmm. Just yep. because you know they can't be cranked. They, <laughs> I had to like actually write and film the second season. It's one of those things that was like rare. It was rare, especially then to have a tie-in book and other media connected with uh, a TV show. Absolutely. And the other thing that occurred was um, um, newspaper clippings. And I, I remember this, um, that they were putting out like polls of what what they thought was you know what people thought about the ending who they thought the killer was and who and kind of like who shot jr there was polls of who shot cooper and i know i'm getting ahead of myself but 
we'll get to that. But yes, I mean, if you're listening to this, you know it's a spoiler-heavy show. Obviously, we're going to get to that point. But there, this set off a media firestorm of people wanting to go off the wave of what this craziness was at the time of people unprecedentedly watching an hour-long freaking soap opera. <laughs> yes, it's... Yeah, I, you know, you and I, we remember our parents talking about this. It was a, it was a cultural phenomenon. And uh, in our background here, because we kind of prop this, especially the first season and maybe a little bit in the second season with uh, the kidnapping of Jacob Wetterling from our hometown area. Yep. We're from St. Cloud. He was from St. Joseph. Uh which is, what, 20 miles away and not yeah, even that? 20 miles away, yeah. I mean, I have a, one of my best friends is, like, really close with the Wetterling family. So, you know, it's just, you know, it, it's, it was, uh, it, you know, we had this mystery on TV we're watching. And we also have this real life I, I take that back, Joe. It's not even 20 miles. It's eight miles away. Wow. Yeah, eight miles yeah. away. So much like how Invitation to Love is like kind of mirroring uh, the events going on in the show, the show's kind of mirroring what's was going on in our real life. Yep, and in, in a sense. And at this point, while a lot of things were dying down because of the tips, things of that nature that were going on, um, Patty Wedling um, started the Wedling Foundation, or was beginning to get the goings of the Wedling Foundation. She was constantly buying airtime um i don't i don't know how they got the money for that i'm sure a lot of people donated it um locally a lot of the stations did to allow her to appeal i mean this was commonplace yeah that july 2nd she foundation the jacob wetterling foundation offers a national database assistance program to help families of missing children which was and remains huge it is huge. It was very, very huge. And if I'm not mistaken, they um, helped with the um, uh, what was that band that put out that Runaway Train? Oh, Soul, um, Soul Asylum. Also from they, Minnesota. Also from Minnesota, and that's where they got the inspiration for Runaway Train. And working with the foundation, um, along with other ones, I don't want to belittle anyone that with all the efforts. There was a lot of things that 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 were there, but the Wedding foundation was one of those ones and so they would and mtv was really cool about this they would actually edit that video um every so many weeks with new missing kids yes yeah it was uh i remember that and that was you know that was that's pretty crazy even you know especially back then because editing and redistributing music videos was not a not a cheap thing to do. <laughs> not at that time, no. I mean, this was still film. This was still, you had, you know, the special effects were, were, were not so special back in that day. Editing was a much harder process. Again, um, you know, Photoshop was barely a thing. Um, yeah, it, it's amazing that MTV went along with that and allowed that. And that Soul Asylum was really cool about that. I kept them relevant for a while, but it also, I think, burned them out. Because that became the video that you watched for Missing Kids and... Yeah, now it's associated with your band. Your yeah, band. now yeah, it was a double-edged sword for them, but God bless them for doing it. Yeah, I've actually interviewed Dave Perner, uh, lead singer of Soul Asylum, for work. Uh, people don't know I I work in news media. Uh, nice guy, very nice guy. Uh, 
I don't know if he was stoned, but he seemed very stoned. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't nice know. Nice guy I... in the world. Nicest guy in the world, but <laughs> so, so I'll tell you, I, it's funny you bring that up because I do have a story about that. Uh, trying to interview someone, I ended up going to a um, show at First Avenue. Um, on uh, I was I was um, under the influence of many things when I went. And I ended up meeting a band and trying to convince them that I was a, a, a um, editor and writer for one of the uh, college colleges in St. Cloud and didn't interview <laughs> with them. <laughs> Honestly, it wouldn't take much to convince a lot of bands of that. They have no idea. Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite interesting. It was quite interesting. That mm-hmm. band turned out to be Nirvana. No, no, that band turned out to be Apples and Stereo. I like them. They're a good band. They're a good band. I got a signed CD and T-shirt out of it. So, you know, and a story that never got written. Uh, (laughs) At least you didn't have an editor waiting for that story not to be written. Dude, it would have been been very gonzo because I was gone. (laughs) Well, let's dig into the episode. Episode uh, seven. Episode yes. eight, technically, the last evening. Again, these titles, I believe, were added for DVD purposes because uh, they needed chapter titles. Uh, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before. Let us know in the comments because I love it when people point out how wrong I am all the time. <laughs> Just like you do in all my other podcasts, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you're wrong. I pointed out Airwolf was your cast of Dune. <laughs> Let's not forget that I that I got uh, uh, um, Gwyneth Paltrow confused with uh... <laughs> Cameron Diaz. Yes, thank you. I took a sip of coffee because I wasn't going to say it. So the episode opens up with um, palm trees and music, or playing on a palm tree, and it starts right off. Like I love this because it starts right where episode seven ended. Yes, and uh, it's this is these this episode and how. Episode seven opened up to is like one of the few times the show's kind of like picked up right where it left off. Because mm-hmm. the episode before is uh, Cooper's in his bedroom with Audrey, which left off from the episode before. We, we really don't get that a whole lot with Twin Peaks. But yeah, this picks up with uh, Donna's Nancy Drew mystery. <laughs> where yes. her, her and goddamn James. Her and James. You know, now here's the thing. When it opens up, when it opens up, and it's them, I, you know what, he's he's got the look, he does everything, and then he opens his mouth, and I'm like, oh my god, even Frost can't write this character, and he made him. Uh, <laughs> it's unfortunate, but so it goes to show once again how how smart they are, because like they pulled the what I loved was the kind of the they, they, the first thing James finds is the umbrellas. Of, yes. of all the dates, of all the different foo-foo drinks that he'd been drinking. And, it, you know, he has the umbrella and it's like uh, 1969, Men on the Moon. And then, like, what was it, 1976, I first lay eyes on Mimsy. I want to know that story. I want to know who the fuck is Mimsy. And, like, what happened with Jacoby there. So, Also, Donna, I don't know if Jacoby seems like he's loosely based off Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> Yes, very much so. I totally, I, I think that's an intentional reference. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, they, uh, 
Donna's hitting buttons, changing the music. Uh, not exactly, you know, I mean, just because it happens in Scooby-Doo doesn't mean you should. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's but, uh, she does remember Laura talking about a coconut, and they uh, open it up and they find a tape, and uh, the missing tape, and they also find the necklace. Yes. Uh, I want to jump ahead just a little bit here because uh, this is because uh, James eventually gives this tape to Agent Cooper. Yes. This tape would not even be if Jacoby was the killer and this tapes had him saying he murdered Laura in cold blood, inadmissible in court. Uh, yes, absolutely. It, it's, uh, and, it's the fruit of the forbidden tree, it's called in legal terms. Yes. Yeah, it would have been completely inadmissible. They would have totally fucked up everything. Had he been had Jacoby been the killer, this would have been like his ability to, to, to walk. He could have just straight up admit he did it and walk at this point because of all the fucking fuckery that they did there. What was really interesting to me, though, is they listened to it and James just immediately goes, he wasn't trying to kill her. He was trying to help her. But then Donna throws out the red herring once again and goes, but then why does he have the necklace? So he's not off the hook, even though, you know, you listen to the tape, they still are keeping that red herring that what was Jacob, right? Well, yeah, why does Jacoby have the necklace? It's a valid point. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird he has it. Um, my memory isn't as fresh because, uh, you know, this kind of gets kind of convoluted in the next season. I don't remember why he was following James and Donna. I remember him saying he was following a red Corvette, which had been Leo, but he was following a red Corvette, which had been Leo. And then he, and then, lo and then Leo lost him. And, oh, then, and he, then he followed, then, then he, he followed James. And yep. Cause then he saw them. He saw these, the two kids on the motorcycle and we're like, what are they doing out here? And he followed them and saw them burying <laughs> some. Yeah. He's just a nosy neighbor. <laughs> he's just, yeah, he's a nosy neighbor. That's all Jacoby really is. He's harmless, but they still pointed at him. So, and so going, going back, Yes. Now we're going back. They have the tape. They have well, it. Before even that, fucking Bobby Briggs. Oh yeah, uh, he he plants the co the cocaine. <laughs> yep. Yep. He plants the cocaine, makes a bullet, and again, I'm going. Why is he doing that? He wasn't dating Donna. Snake was. We haven't seen Snake. Why? Have... Wait, he's Mike, man. Quit using this this one time <laughs> nickname they gave him, man. <laughs> what the fuck? I know. I know, and especially when you see what he becomes in the return, you're like, "Oh, snake! Oh. <laughs> who's God. your who's your accountant, snake? Oh man, um, was he an insurance agent? I thought that's he was what he was. I'm sorry, he was an insurance agent. Yes, 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 yes. He was an insurance but, uh, agent. We're, we're jumping ahead 25 years of this. <laughs> yeah, so Bobby plants the coke again. He uh, he's mad at James for really no reason. No reason. Because he didn't really love Laura. He was, you know, he's in love with Shelly. Mm -hmm. uh, this is just, uh, it's a weird thread to have. Uh, when we have our critical eyes on this, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But again, this is us watching with the critical eyes. Exactly. I don't question exactly. it when I'm just sitting back and watching Twin Peaks. Nope. I just... Nope, I don't either. And then it cuts to Jacoby, who, got, who um, was able to, from the video... Does, they told him to go to 21st and Sparkwood, which is where the necklace was. Yeah. And instead, he went to Easter Park, which is where Maddie is dressed up as Laura. Just and, standing there. 
just stand, just standing there hanging out, okay, and then some dude beats him up. Yeah, some dude he just beat. You know, it could be a you know, this is the eighties, but they could this could have been a guy who hated hippies. We don't know. <laughs> do now, I I think I know who did it, but do they ever say who did it? It was Leland. Okay, that's okay. That's what I thought. I just don't remember them ever coming out, but yes, it was Leland. I think it's it's brought up in season two. I'm okay. pretty sure. It's, I'm like ninety nine percent sure it's Leland. I, I yes, I'm pretty sure that it was. But here's my thought: because he what? like last time we saw him, he was laying on that couch. He was sitting on the couch, had, and they didn't know he was there. And they're all Maddie leaves, which yep. is another red herring. Yep. Uh, and then uh, again, uh, I'm kind of confused. Okay, so. Laura is like this huge thing. Wouldn't you think one car would have stopped and said, "Holy shit, is that Laura Palmer?" <laughs> I mean, no. She's standing out. So, I, has the curfew been lifted from the pilot? I mean, it's only what two days, three days, or a week. Curfews for the kids, though. Like you know, yeah, that's a good point. Some... I get... Yeah, neighborhood patrol. Like, what the fuck? Is that well, Laura Palmer? So... She's wearing the blonde wig. <laughs> And, and yeah, it's you. I I have to agree. You know, she's out in public. She's at a park. Someone would have seen her. I mean, that's it's a small town. I'm thinking someone would have seen her. Like, yeah. hey, um, you know, why don't the hell don't you? Know, after you record that, why don't you sit in the fucking car, take the wig off, <laughs> <laughs> put your glasses back on, so you don't draw attention to yourself. But again, we're looking at it with a critical eye. Yeah. But. So, yeah, he's in there, and then you see a masked dude who turns out to be Leland. Um, yep. uh, this is Leland knocks him out, which uh, causes him to have a heart attack. He doesn't knock him out. He beats him in the back with a fucking rock, Joe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how you beat up a hippie. <laughs> Jesus. That's how we did it in Woodstock. I mean, it's, it's kind of brutal. And I'm, you know, and I'm, you know, knowing what we know, I'm like, why does he have the mask? For, for one, but you know, uh, yeah. So then, yeah. So then he rolls over, and <laughs> they do a heartbeat thing, and then it, it was it's a cool shot, very kind of what I felt was one of the Lynchian things, where yeah. it goes into his eye, and then the eye becomes the roulette wheel. Yeah, this is one of the two Lynch Lynchian moments. The other one we'll we'll get to. It's with Jacques. Yep. But uh, yeah. yeah. So speaking, uh, we're at One Eyed Jacks now. Yep. Mark Cooper is uh, uh, satiating his uh, crippling gambling addiction. Counting, and he's a car counter. He's, he's an illegal a car counter. Like, he's a car counter. I'm pretty sure they don't teach that in the FBI, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and poor Ed is losing his shirt on everything. He can't even get one of the brothel girls to go with him. She leaves him. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and so he looks like a, he's an Adonis with that wig and mustache. Yeah, that's what they are. They're orthodontists, right? From uh, from Seattle. That's what their that's what their cover yeah. is. Yeah. Oh yep. my god. So. So yeah. So Cooper has like the most ridiculous hand ever in in blackjack, and you know starts telling um who's Jacques is dealing cards there because that's how uh, that's another way Jacques made his money. Um, was working at the brothel as a um, as a dealer, and um, um, he starts convincing him that he's Leo's money. Yeah, he's the bank. He's the bank. He's he basically and un, unknown to him who was the bank. It was Horn, um, who was yeah. the bank. Yeah, 
But um, um, so he tips Leo with the thousand um, dollar poker chip that. So he's using evidence. Yeah, this is but, the poker chip that the 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 chipped part was it found in Laura's stomach during the autopsy <laughs> during. Oh, Albert, we needed. I wish we had a little Albert in this episode, but <laughs> Albert found the the chip, the broken part of the chip, and then the this one Cooper found at uh, Jacques' apartment. We will get a lot of Albert in season two, and thank God because that's what makes season two worth watching is more Albert. Oh, um, the return, we get him a lot in the return. Oh too. my God, I loved him in the return. Um, I, I just love Miguel Ferrier in general. There's just oh, anything he's in. I fucking love that dude. RoboCop, hello. Oh, God. Him and Andrew Packard in RoboCop. Fuck yeah. Yeah, him and Andrew Packard are in RoboCop. So maybe, you know, we could have just recasted Twin Peaks as RoboCop. Or I could have done that. And Ray Dick. Wise. <laughs> yes, and Ray Wise was in there as well. well. These character actors showed up in a lot of the same projects. Where was Red? Why was it Red in, in Twin Peaks? So... Um, <laughs> so, He's too busy putting a foot up somebody's ass. <laughs> so, so yeah, he's using he's using states' evidence. He's using federal evidence and federal money and federal gamble. money to gamble. And um, he, this I think this is what you're going to say is the other Lynchian part. Um, is he like the bullet, baby? Yeah, there's this weird slow mo of and you know he just drank a beer and it's wet and it's gross and it's a cut up of this fat fucking Walter Okawitz's mouth and it's just gross um, but gets in the basically admit that they were all there at the time yeah he's uh he he tricks him he's like tell me the story of the night with the girls he gives it but you know his take is uh you know uh Laura the bird was loved Laura and they let the bird while she was tied up let the bird peck at her peck at her well, well, Leo was giving her the dirty business of with his yeah. with his cock meat, and yeah. hot dogging her. Yeah, hot dogging her, and um, and oh, and so we find out how the blood happened. They got a fight, and Leo fucking stabbed. No, uh, he hit him in the head with a whiskey bottle. That, that's what it was. That's what it was. He hit him in the head with a whiskey bottle. Broke a whiskey bottle over his fucking head. So Leo gave him his shirt to put the blood on it, and that's how the blood got on his shirt. And then when he he passed out, and when he woke up, Leo everybody's gone. Everybody's gone. And Leo left him there and drove off. So with a broken skull, Jacques Renault had to walk fifty miles to his house. Yep. Had to walk fifty miles to his house. These aren't uh, these aren't exactly upstanding people, so I guess I can buy it. Uh, what happens in uh, Firewalk with me is a little different. It's a little uh, different. Uh, Leland's the one who knocks Jacques out. Yeah, well, outside taking a piss. Uh, I don't even remember if the the whiskey bottle thing even happens in Firewalk with me. I don't no. remember it. No, there's a lot of retconning in that. And the other thing that make that makes it interesting is is that Laura Palmer died that night. The next day, everything's occurred. How did Leo get his shirt back? <laughs> <laughs> just, just one of those things. He just walked, Leo... Maybe like when Jacques was knocked out, he just walked up to his bleeding head. Oh, grabbed, yeah, his was, grabbed, grabbed his shirt and left. That very possible. 
Very like, possible. Give me my shirt, fucker. Give me my shirt, you bleeding fuck. Um, oh. Yeah. So I was just like, how did he get his shirt back? But yeah, so they then just say, okay, we're going to we're gonna go and um, we're going to well, meet me in two hours, Cooper says. And water, I, water processing plant. Yes. There's a job for them. Yep. Now, I want to talk about this because this is the part I was talking about. This is so Hill Street Blues. The 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 style of the show changes during all of this to me. It felt like a completely different show when I was watching this, and I loved it. Uh, I mean, just the way that Lynch directed it, the action of it. What was really interesting, I want to bring this up, was that the exterior shot for that was actually shot in, in Burbank, California. And Frost wanted it because of the large, unusual-shaped buildings, um, which were lit from behind to enhance the silhouettes. Um, and you can tell, like, this is, you know, they get the cops involved, they're doing this, and you can definitely tell that Frost had um, had some leanings in old cop procedurals. Because yeah. this scene, like I said, the way it's framed, the way it's shot, the movements of it are totally different than the rest of the show and the rest of the season. Yeah, it's... Uh... It feels like a lot. It does feel like a procedural. Uh, it's not. Um, I like it. I like that he wasn't trying to ape David Lynch too much. I think that happened. That became like a, even especially in season two, it became a pro, became problematic with directors because they were starting mm-hmm. to do th- weird things for the sake of being weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lynch, what uh, what Frost was doing here, I like because he's just you know he's 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 doing what he knows. And yes, that's what he knows, and then so. I do want to say, like, you know, the water processing plant where uh, uh, Harry's sitting in. Yeah. He's like, got the smoky streets at night. Like, I just half expected, like, hearing a bluesy guitar riff, like you'd hear, like, old Highlander episodes in the oh, dark absolutely. alley. Absolutely. And here, and the, the other, saxophone. The other, the other, the other show that, that Frost um, wrote on, which is, which totally borrows from that as well, was The Equalizer. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yes, he wrote a cup. He wrote two episodes for the Equalizer, and that totally has that like Equalizer vibe when they're sitting there and it's smoking, it's rolling out. So yeah, so they. The best part is, is that they're still talking in code. They're doing all the fish references. Susie, as soon as I see a fin, we'll go in. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh. But so, also, we have another thing happening at One-Eyed Jacks. Before we move on, yes, uh, Audrey is now uh, dabbling in the flesh trade mm-hmm. <laughs> in her investigation. It's kind of funny. We got all these people working on their own investigations uh, instead of leaving it to the police because their investigations really are leading things nowhere. <laughs> nowhere. But uh, she's working for uh, Blackie. Blackie and... Uh, so yeah, she's gonna be uh, broken in by the owner, is mm-hmm. what is alluded. Which you get, we don't really get it this episode, but no. it, it becomes like, oh god, no, 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 no. And, well, uh, it is actually, alluded at this episode because yeah. they yeah, do the signing. signing. <laughs> they yeah, yeah, they're signing, and I want to also add, Audrey thinks Cooper is there to help her, help her, because she sees him on the security camera. Yep. So she gets this breath of relief. She's thinking she's going to be saved by Cooper, and he has no ass clue that he's that that, that she's there because he had a crabby nut. Because remember, he didn't talk to her that morning and was super crabby and never went back to get to, to never went back to to get the letter that she left him. 
So, um, yeah, she thinks Cooper's there to get her, and Blackie makes her pick out, is doing tarot with playing cards, which I didn't quite understand. Um, <laughs> if you watch, she has a tarot. I was watching that. I was like, is that, that's not solitaire. That's a tarot layout. And yep. she's doing tarot layouts with, with regular cards and makes her pick out uh, a name. So she has the queen of hearts. Oh, sorry, the queen, queen of diamonds. Queen of diamonds. And who is it stitching? It's like a weird hunchback witch thing. What was that about? I have no idea. <laughs> like, that, that never registered with me before to watching this. And I'm like, what is up with the witch outfit hunchback thing that's doing that? And then exits through a hidden door. Um, and then, and then, and then, you know, Ben Horn comes in. So after they do the signing, um, with the, with the ice liners, Ghostwood and country clubs, the worst business deal the in worst television history, <laughs> in television history, um, is Blackie says to him, good work boss. So you are told there without it being beaten over your head, like it is in season two, um, that. It's more subtly that oh, if you're if you've been paying attention, he's the owner of One Eye Jacks. Yeah, Ben is he owns it. Uh, the Renaults are kind of like the muscle. Yes. So oh. while this, and, and while this is going on, fucking Shelley was at home washing her hair in the sink like an idiot. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they have their washer and dryer outside their house, and apparently they don't have a shower because she's washing her hair in the sink. And when you're waiting for Leo to show up, you shot the dude, you know he's fucking crazy. Why would you do anything of the sorts? I I mean, what the run, fuck are you thinking? Run to the hills, Shelly. Run to right. the hills. So as she's watching her hair, she gets soap in her eyes. And I I liked how creepy this that, that was where he fucks with her even while he's shot and still dealing with that shit. He's still got to be an asshole. So as she's reaching for the towel... He's pulling the towel away from her. He didn't just grab her when she got in there. He wanted to fuck with her. And um, so he carries her and takes her away. And we... Let's just do this part. Let's just go to the sawmill. So he's hired to burn down the sawmill by by Ben Horn. Yep. And he has the uh, comically large gas can still. And uh, I want to oh. add a fucking duster. <laughs> A duster. He's wearing a duster. He's wearing Max Duster from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Fuck yeah, he is. Dusters were the shit, though, in the 90s. Dusters and trench coats. If you were a bad guy, you wore dusters and trench coats. So I can't I can't harp too much on that. Um, but he's also got, like, the, the worst bomb rig ever. It's just, it's, it's like Looney Tunes comical how it's set up. It's like a clock on a board with like some firecrackers. I don't, I didn't quite understand it. I was like, what, what is that? And how's that going to do anything? But it's a, literally like, a firecracker that sets off a few <laughs> to set off another bomb. Yeah. Yeah. It's comical. When you really look at it, you're like, holy shit. He bought it from the Acme company. <laughs> he did. So he's got Shelly there, which is the dumbest fucking thing because yeah. let's talk about how stupid the mill thing is. Yes. Cause we, because not, not only is Shelly, like, this is supposed to look like an accident. Right. Because, uh, look, when it's, uh, something burns like this, you're going to have insurance and police investigating the hell out of this. So anything suspicious, 
you don't want there. Especially not just one potential dead body that would be Shelly. Two with Catherine Martell, the person who formerly yes. owned it. So I wanna I wanna talk a little bit about this and we go off track a little bit because in I don't know if you heard or not, but in our hometown. Um, a very prestigious bar. Well, I shouldn't say pre- prestigious, but a historical bar burned down. The press burned down. And well, it's, that was something of a bar. <laughs> it was something of a bar. Well, it turns out that the owner did it for insurance money because he owed $300,000 all over fucking town and was going through a divorce. And the divorce was going to leave the bar to his ex-wife or his soon-to-be ex-wife. So he intentionally set the bar on fire, Joe. Yeah, and he was arrested within days. <laughs> he was arrested within days because they're like, hey, we found, obviously, we. I mean, when, when shit burns down like that, they do investigations, insurance investigations. You find something that is a um, an intentional, like when you find like a fuse at the site um, or like a rig or like a leftover, a fucking metal clock, which isn't going to burn all the way down. People are going to know you. Giant, comically large gas cans. Right. (laughs) What the fuck was this? And then they're going to look for the bodies. And when no one knows who the bodies are, as things burn down, they're going to identify from the teeth and other means. So they're going to find out that Shelly Johnson, who had no business being in that fucking mill, was in the mill. And Catherine Catherine Martell, Martell, who had no business being there late at night, was burned down in the mill. So let's get to Catherine. And let's also add, Ghostwood is something that's very public that people know Ben Horn is trying to build. Yep. Because he doesn't own it, but yet uh, he's signing papers for development on it. And again, there was the protest flyer, stop the Ghostwood development at the double R. (laughs) It's not a secret. He would be in jail two seconds after that burned. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, he would. So they, um, so Catherine, the 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 one of the the books are missing. Yeah, her, and the cooked ledger that we have we've gone over wouldn't make any sense. Wouldn't make any sense is missing. So she goes to Pete because she knows that Pete had given Josie where the where the 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 ledger was at one point. And she goes to Pete to try and get help. And I love that scene. Yeah, Pete actually Pete, shows, like, she does care about Pete. Yes. I mean, And it shows that Pete is still in love with her. Yeah, Pete is, uh, I love Pete. Uh, Jack Nance was such a, he played this role really well. It's it's so crazy to me to think that he was <laughs> so Henry in a racer head. Just yeah. how polar opposite. And performances though. Excuse me, and all the issues that he had going on in his personal life. Yeah. He, you know, he was just so professional and played this character amazingly. And so, you know, they kind of rekindle the spark and he's running around, and he's trying to help her. And then he gets sidetracked <laughs> by his <laughs> high school. By his high school yearbook. And um then she gets a call. Now, this is another thing that bothered me, critical eye. She gets a call from Hank from the payphone <laughs> at, at, at the double R, you know, yep. tell, telling her that what she's looking for is in the particular mill that's going to get burned down. She's like, what do you want for this? And he's like, we'll be in touch, knowing full whether she's going to die. Now, they cut later to Norma sitting at a booth, not 
fucking six feet away from where that damn phone is. Yeah. How did she not overhear that he's doing this? I mean, again, a critical eye. I, I still love it, but I'm, as I'm doing it for the podcast, I'm like, man. And considering man. she didn't want him released in the first place, like overhearing that, she. I have a feeling Norma would have gone to the cops. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, cakes threatening people on the phone. Get him the hell out of my diner. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, and this goes to Hank's amazing ability to know what people are doing at home at any given moment, because how else would he have known that Catherine was at that moment searching for the ledger? <laughs> this goes back to his letter he sent to Josie, which was mm-hmm. the sketch. He just happened to know when she opened the mail. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. He has a magical ability to just know what people are doing. So, yeah. And he knew that she'd be looking for it. So at this point, you know, I mean, how did she even know that the ledger, how did he, how did they even know outside of her that the ledger was missing? No one else knew except for her that she knew the ledger was missing. So whatever. Well, no, uh, Josie, uh, no, Ben has it. Ben has the ledger. Uh, that's true. Ben does have the ledger. But I mean, how was she, I mean, who would have known that she even would have been looking for it at that yeah, point? Yeah. At that time. See, that's, that goes, that's, that's Hank's magic. <laughs> yeah. That is, that is Hank's magic. So Catherine goes out. Um, you know, sends uh, um, Pete on his way, and she goes out to uh, the. Oh, and she has the, my one of my favorite lines too. Go for it. Oh, let me see where is is. She oh, because Shelly's tied up, you know, and she's mumbling, and she Catherine looks. At her and she's like, I can't, I can't understand. You have something, you have a thing in your mouth. Yeah, yeah. She's just, every time I laugh at that line, it's like, just, she's just got to be such a fucking asshole. Oh, I, and she's debating saving her. Yeah. She's debating saving her. You can see hey, it. She's all, emoting all, debating. After see, after hearing Shelly say James was always cool, I would be debating that too. <laughs> Oh, God damn it. Yeah, I know. We'll get to that. So, because James... All right. So, yes. I, she She's debating getting her out and finally gets her out of there. And she's like, who are you? And she's like, I'm Shelly Johnson. She doesn't even bother telling her that Leo like, did all this stuff, right? Like, I would want to be like, you know, as you're getting things out of there. So, the Milster... And this is the other scene. That is unlike everything else that's Twin Peaks. The way that this is filmed, the way that the fire is going, the way that things are going. Again, it's it's Frost leaning on the, his Hill Street Blues days. Um, it totally has a completely different feel than the rest of the show. The camera angles are, again, go, moved to more like a procedural, um, especially the, the the lower Dutch angle yeah. of um, when when it cuts to Hank, or excuse me, when it cuts to Pete. And he has my, he's, he has my you know, as, as Catherine... Still around? You know, has everyone seen Catherine? Not yet, Pete. All right, I'm going in there. You can't do that, Pete. He's like, she's still my wife. (laughs) It's just like, yes, you're awesome. You're awesome, Pete. You just love him in this show. So he goes flying in there yelling for Catherine as the place is burning down. You don't know what happened. And it's great. Uh, uh, Just uh, Pete is, again, he's one of my favorite characters, and I love how... They wrapped him up in secret history because, you know, Jack Nance uh, unfortunately passed away in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Audrey, at, during the finale of season two, he dies saving Audrey. 
Yes. He's just a good guy. Yep. Yep, that's where we get the secret history. We'll go on that. But yes, it just goes to the character. He dies saving Audrey from from the explosion. Um, in the in the well, that, that was in the series finale, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, yep, that was in the series finale. I couldn't remember if it was a couple episodes before, but I think it was actually in the series finale. Yeah, it was during like what? Because these episodes, okay, this will be a common theme with the uh, season finales of Twin Peaks. Uh, they all end on cliffhanger. Every single even, one. Even the return. The only thing Twin Peaks that does not end on a cliffhanger is Fire Walk With Me, where I feel we got a very legitimate end to the story of Laura Palmer. I completely agree with you. 100%. It's the only like definitive ending to anything in a, of Lynch that I I can remember. I would completely agree with you on that. 1,000%. One, 1, um, and, I, and I think that had more to do with you know, just because it was a prequel and it was leading up to something, it yep. put him in a put him in a corner. It painted baby in a corner, and he had to do it. But so that happens, and then I want to get to this uh, real briefly because at the end of this, I really want to talk uh, a little bit about what I would have liked to have seen as I was doing this. I was writing down notes of what I would like to have seen, what season two would have been a little bit different in my mind um, of how I would have. Had ended some of these storylines than what they did, um, and I think it could have saved season two. But cut it's, to Nadine. Saying you wouldn't have a uh, Piper Laurie show up in uh, Yellowface. Oh my god! Okay, first of all, though, okay, as 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 bad as that is, that is an amazing makeup job <laughs> to the point where it fooled people on set. Yeah, I I I thought it was just a weird looking character. Honestly, I wasn't mm-hmm. thinking it was going to be Catherine, but it's, it's, it's offensive in so many ways. It's offensive in so many ways. And I actually thought it was a, that they got a different actor and they didn't. No, and, yeah. act, and there was people on set that had no idea for a couple shootings that it was her and they wanted it that way. Yep. Yep. It was the keep mysteries and all that. This is like actually one of the first shows where I think they didn't, let any of the, except for key cast members know what was going I, on. I'm going to point out that even key cast members didn't know because at the end of the, I noticed something at the end of this episode as well. That was, they were keeping everyone out of, out of the loop. Um, key um, people included. Um, so real quick, I want to cut to, while this is all going on, Nadine commits suicide. Oh. This is heartbreaking. Uh, this gets me every time. Mm-hmm. And it's not because Nadine's not one of my favorite characters, but having, you know, we're older now. We've known people who have taken their lives. This, Absolutely. Just, this just hits. This hits hard every it's time I see it. Hard. And I noticed something that they use a version of the Twin Peaks variation that is never used again. And it's a gorgeous piece of music. Um, it's a more innocent sounding version of it too. It, it is. It is. Yeah, it's a very straightforward, very innocent, very. Um, it's almost like it's in a major than a minor. Um, it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful piece of music, and she's in her dress. And the reason why she's killing herself um, is because we didn't get in this in the previous episodes because we were kind of glossing through stuff. Was that she found out that her patent was denied um, by? Yeah. By one patner, and uh, Ed had told her, "Hey, there's other there's other patners. We can we can try again." And she's totally distraught, and so she puts on her yeah. um, her, her, would, her was her prom dress. Yeah, and I would even say this is more 
than just the patent. I think she just just because she knows Ed's with her just because he's a good guy and wouldn't mm-hmm. want to hurt her. But she mm-hmm. knows Ed loves Norma. Norma. Yes, yes, that's never been hidden, um, and that will that really also gets into um, the the secret history as well. And and the return and, and the return. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and, it's heartbreaking because she's she's a she's a Nadine's a tragic character. <laughs> very much so. Very and much so. It's just you know, and then like you hear like because it is. It sounds like it's in a major. Yeah, uh, the Twin Peaks theme, and it's, it sounds a little more innocent, and it sounds like you know, because of, of all the characters in this show, because almost all of them do shitty things. <laughs> Nadine's really the only truly innocent character. Yeah, she doesn't really do anything wrong. No, <laughs> I mean, she's a little grating at times, mm-hmm. but she really is not. <laughs> Not her, the shenanigans everybody else is up to. No, her only crime is that she legitimately loves Ed too much. Yes. That is her only sin in the entire thing, is that she loves Ed to the point of strangulation, um, metaphorically. Yes. Um, and so, you know, she puts the pills in a bowl, and then she just says goodbye. She writes a note, says goodbye, and that is... Oh, it's so heart-wrenching. It's it's a really tough scene. And then it um, followed up a little bit later because Ed finds her, and it's just like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, well, let's, I mean, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, I, I mean, we could do that now because after everything's all said and done. Yeah, and let's, it, let's get to it now because Ed finds her. And, like, look, like we said, Ed's a good guy. Mm-hmm. And part of him does love Nadine. Just Absolutely. doesn't love her like he loves Norma. No, no, he loves her more like a child. It's yeah. more of a parental love for her. And because he just wants to protect her and just wants to keep her happy and safe. That's really all Ed wants. And he finds her and he just gets in and he makes the phone call. You know, um, my wife just took a bunch of pills. You need to get here quick. And he's trying to get her back up. And that's really where that gets left for the episode. Yeah. Um, so going back. I want to. We're, we're jumping around, but I want to go back to the police to the to the to the when they catch uh, Jacques. Cause... Oh, Jacques, yeah, because this dumb dumb. <laughs> she, but this is get... actually brilliant of Cooper because he gets him on American soil. Because we've kind of made poke, we took our pot shots at like Cooper and doing like you know trying to like you know do law enforcement across the border. His brilliance mm-hmm. is he gets the criminal back into the states. He does. He's like, hey, I'll meet you there in two hours. Get, you know, get to the States. We'll, we'll do this thing. So as they're getting, as they're trying to arrest him, he um, starts struggling, grabs one of the cops guns and pulls it on um, Harry. Truman, on Harry, on Harry. And I love, I love the editing in this one. Like I said, this is really where I got that procedural because you hear look out and it does a close up on Harry as he's hiding, as he jumps behind the door of his car and you hear a shot ring out and it's motherfucking Andy. The guy who cries at dead body. <laughs> yep. Yep. And it just goes to show that the training that they had been working on him with and every, I thought that was a great combination of like everyone trying to get Andy to be a good cop and, with Cooper's influence, and this is the payoff of Andy's hard work of wanting to be a good cop. Yep, and the, the shooting practice Cooper had him do, well, mm-hmm. 
because uh, I believe it was like uh, episode two or three. Yep. <laughs> it's like, Andy, I want you to two hours at the range or whatever <laughs> with uh, Harry and Hawk. It paid off. It he paid off. saved Harry's life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I... Now I'm thinking of it. it this kind of also mirrors what happens in the last episode of The Return. Except it's not Andy, Andy and Lucy are the saviors. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Totally. This is a throwback. Yes. I think that was a total throwback to this. So, freaking love that. Um, and Andy's all super cool about it. Yeah, and... he's a... They're telling the tales of Andy shooting Jacques. Jacques, it, it's not a lethal wound. Nope. Uh, he's just, he's, you know, he's hit, but they have got him in the shoulder. Hospital. Yeah. Uh, but Andy, Hawk is like talking it up. Everybody's excited. And even to the point where Lucy is like, hey, <laughs> Andy, what happened? Yeah. And they're fighting and, 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 and they're fighting, right? Yeah. And, and so now they're like, hey, this is your chance, Andy. Get in there. And, she tells Andy that she's pregnant. Yes. And he calls her punky. Punky. I love that. Yep. This is uh, another one of those uh, cliffhanger type things, like where they just kind of drop another bomb on us, especially <laughs> those of us who enjoy Andy and Lucy, like myself and Paul. I love Andy and Lucy. I love Andy and Lucy so much. Yes. And so, yeah, he... um um. He's in uh, shock. He's in shock, and walks away. And you don't understand it. You don't. You, you don't. You don't understand quite why that happens. Um, we will in season two, and I'm going to argue some things here as we go into that. There's going to be spoilers going to season two towards the end of this. So, so what? So then they get Jock to the hospital, and he admits everything. You know, but again, yeah, everything up and. Except for the murder of Laura Palmer. At this point, it's still red herrings pointing at Leo. Considering, mm -hmm. Okay, Jacques out of... He is there. He got bashed in the head and he passed out outside. And Cooper says he's too dumb to lie. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. So they pretty much know that they got... That they that he implicated Leo and they like, Leo killed Laura Palmer. We got to get Leo. And, well, Hank... Well, after they signed the, the agreement... Um, there is a phone call made to from Hank to um, Ben at um, One Eye Jacks that they're gonna back that they're gonna black flag the 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 firebug, meaning that they are going to kill Leo. Yeah, and Ben Horn's like, "Yep, do it." Now this is the one smart thing that has gone on here. Yes. At least you get rid of the 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 guy who did it, so he yeah. can't add on you. And here's the thing: is that now, okay, because Leo had Shelly Johnson in there, even though Ghost Ghostwood and everything is done, this is the best thing. This is the best luck that Ben Horn would have walked into had everything gone the way it was supposed to, because you could have blamed it on Leo being fucking nuts and wanting to kill Shelly. Like, yeah. that was something that could have, like, had, the, had everything gone to plan and, you know, the mill burned down and Leo was killed and Shelly was fucking burned in the mill. Um, that would have taken all the heat, actually, off of Ben Horn. Would it, though? Because Catherine would have still been there. Catherine would have been there, but, you know, at the same time, 
you know, yeah, every- the kind of guy who's trying to develop the. I mean, it's still pointing at him. It's just not as he has plausible deniability at this. He point. has very, he very much has plausible deniability because you know you could have made the point that you know uh, one of the fucking Renaults killed him. Yeah. Um, over something. So yeah, I, I mean, have no idea why Catherine was there. Maybe she was in on it or something. Exactly right. So yeah, they could have done all this thing. So it's it's revealed that Hank um, is meeting with Josie. And Josie is not a good person. And you learn the character that Josie is, by the way, in the secret history is not the character we got in the show. No, we got, I think we talked about this in a previous spot. She's basically uh, Oren from Kill Bill. Like mm-hmm. She's an assassin, part of like the the Yakuza type of thing, like organized triads. Mm-hmm. Triads, yes. She is a badass character in secret history. She's a badass in secret history. And you learn that she had her husband, Andrew Packer, killed by Hank. Yes. And, and Hank... Boating went, accident. In a boating accident. Well, the, I believe it, the boat exploded in the boathouse. <laughs> yes. And no one put two and two together on that because, you know, you don't call them the feds for that one. A lot of but, things blow up in Twin Peaks for no, expl- <laughs> no reason. His, <laughs> just happens. And... So he killed this other dude um, driving so he could be avoided being... I I didn't quite understand that because I'm going, you know, if you killed another dude and you were implicated in another murder, they would have brought that up in your trial. Yeah. You know? What he was trying to do is... is, I, I I believe in secret history he set a bomb. Yes. He set the bomb. And so when the bomb went off... That's when he ran over this poor son of a bitch who had nothing to do with this. Yes. Probably some dude just out for a walk. Yep. Ran, it was a, ran homeless, over by... it was a homeless dude. Yep. Ran over a homeless dude. So when the bomb went off, he he would, wouldn't be linked to the to the killing of, of, of Andrew Packard. Yeah. And so he the deal was that was ninety thousand dollars that she was gonna pay him when he got out. And now he wants more money, and he goes with this big speech about time and whatever, and how much time is 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 worth. My and part is she's just like we had an agreement. This is where we kind of get a little bit of her yes. old, her old back the background we got from her, in that she's not taking his shit. Like she's not afraid of him. Oh, well, when we're, we watch this and we don't know secret history, there's menace there because like Hank's this doofus, but he does have like a mean streak in him. Mm-hmm. Secret history. Now knowing this, I'm like, dear God, Hank, get the hell out of there before she fucks you up. Right, right. And later, and later, she gets someone to fuck him up. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, Hank. Yeah, Hank's a doofus, and she's a stone cold killer since she was like in her teens. Like, wow, she is a badass, and I wish she would have gotten more of that character. Hank so is continually just. Out of his element. He is Donnie from the Big Lebowski. He really is. He really, really is Donnie. So, <laughs> at this point, Bobby shows up to grab Shelly. Because he has no idea what's going on. So, he shows up at, at Leo's house to get Shelly. And Leo's there. Yes. Which is... In this sort of love triangle, I guess uh, I would not want to be in Bobby's shoes. Except, you know... We know, and we will we'll continue to hammer this home. Bobby shot a cop. Bobby shot a cop. Bobby shot a crooked cop. Oh, yeah. Bobby shot a cop. 
Not only that, he killed a cop. He, yeah, he straight up murdered a police officer. Um, so he shows up and he's just totally aloof. And he tries turning things around like, oh, man, the cops are looking for you. And Leo goes after him with a fucking axe. And the only thing that... What's Leo's endgame in this? I, 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 think, I think Leo was going to fucking hightail out of town. I really do. That's what I think Leo's... I don't, I don't think... I think Leo... I mean... <laughs> well, his okay. wife's found at the burned mill. And then, like, that's suspicious. And then, like, his home, he's got... Chopped up nephew <laughs> with an ass. And, and here's the interesting. Here's the interesting thing that I forgot to bring up. That you know, when he's leaving the mill and leaving Shelly there, you made me do this. It's yeah, like, the, he, the cliched uh, abusive. Uh, yeah, he's a, such a man child. He is such a fucking man child. So, um, as he's right about to kill Bobby, he gets shot. And he gets shot in the fucking neck. He gets shot in like like in, like in the shoulder and the neck area, like 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 where the yeah. neck meets the shoulder. This is he the is, second time he's been shot in twenty four so hours. Days. In twenty four <laughs> hours, this is the second time he's been shot in twenty four hours. And Bobby looks out the window, and it's sees, Hank. Sees Hank, then sees he's Hank. just like, "Yep, I'm out. Yep, I'm out of here. I'm out of here." So. To wrap it up, oh, no, we can't wrap it up, because then... We got the hospital. We got the hospital. He so, popped in earlier at the police station, talked to Doc Hayward. And it's like, I heard you got the guy. How did you hear? There's no internet. Do you have a CB radio in your house? How did you know, Leland? You were at home. The owls are not what they see. Absolutely. That's exactly why I think he knew. Yeah. So... Mm. Yeah, so Leland finds out that Jacques is in the hospital, and Leland decides to have some vigilante justice on the man he thinks, or he claims he thinks, killed his daughter. Uh, And what I will say is, is that when I watched it for the first time and didn't know and what Leland, you know, turned out to be and how season two goes. I was I totally empathize with this with this move. I actually did. Yeah, I mean, his daughter was found brutally murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, his life's upside down. I mean, there's things like this happen in real life where you know suspects are killed. Yes, by grieving parents. It's it's a thing that happens. Yeah. So he breaks the um, he breaks the uh, he sets off the fire alarm to get everyone out of the out out of that ward. And smothers uh, uh, Jacques to death with a pillow. And then quickly sneaks out. So, to summarize, Jacoby is in the hospital um, with a heart attack after getting beat up. Not just Um, beat up, like you corrected me. He was bludgeoned with a rock. (laughs) He was bludgeoned in the back with a rock several times. Um, Pete, Catherine, and Shelly... No idea what's happening with them. Nope. Pete went into the blaze to uh, find his wife almost begrudgingly. Like, she's my wife. Yep. Leo is presumed shot and killed. Um, Nadine commits suicide. And we get to Cooper. And he's in his hotel room. And he gets the note. 
and his phone rings. Now, here's something I wanted to get back to what you had stated earlier, which was actors did not know what was going on. What Cooper says and was told to say on the phone and then what was later put on to be Andy, those two things don't connect. And that clicked with me today because he's like, hello, who is this? Can this wait till morning? Hold on. You know, I got to knock, you know, room service, right? And then it cuts to, you hear, Cooper, it's Andy. It's Andy. And I'm going, that would not have been the conversation. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That that's a really weird way of him answering the phone, and then, then yeah, he would have known that was Andy, and then if he would have known they had Leo, he would have be lined it right. Ex- exactly, exactly. Now here's the thing: I don't understand how they got Leo because of the fuckery that occurred in all of this. Um, uh, James takes everything to um, the police. And Bobby earlier had made a call saying he was Leo Johnson and that they needed to investigate James because he's an easy rider. Yep. And so when he gets there, they put two and two together with the easy rider comment and check the gas tank and find the cocaine that Bobby planted. Um, so he, you know, they talk about Easter park and how the phone, now, when uh, um, Lucy took the message, she heard the park, the park, bell going off or the park you know the, the the sound of the of the chime going off when when he called and so they took all the paroles they said hey get all the paroles off of leo's house and put them on easter park so i didn't understand when when he calls and they say they got leo why they had done that because they weren't looking at leo's house and leo's yeah. house the middle of nowhere no one's going to hear that gunshot my guess, I mean, this is just speculation. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guess is after they got Jacques and he com- he confessed, they went to Leo's house. Oh, that and that and that maybe, and that very well maybe. That just kind of uh, that would make sense, even though he's kind of missing. You'd still want to like check the check the home, especially after Jacques had just confessed that. They were together with Laura and Ronette the night Laura died. Sure, that but, and, and but we that don't maybe. <laughs> yeah, we don't know because again, they they were supposed to pull everyone off off the house and and do that. So, so yeah, so there was that weird conversation. I do think that they just gave him lines and then put that in in editing yeah. the Andy part. Yeah, it's just it sounds like an overdub. It does sound like overdub, and it's just to make the. Uh, um, again, it goes back to Joe's point that they were trying to keep everything a secret from everybody. And they want to add the cliffhanger. So, like, Leo's in jail. Oh, shit. And then, guess what? The knock on the door. Cooper opens it. Bam, bam, bam. He's shot. And he's shot three Holy times. Shit, they shot Agent Cooper. <laughs> they shot Agent Cooper three times. And that is the end of the episode. Yeah, that's a hell of. And this is uh, this is paying homage to uh, Dallas, uh, who shot Jr. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, it's uh, you know the Twin Peaks. You know, it pokes fun at those nightly soap operas, but it also like you know you can make fun, but it's also that's where you're getting a lot of the styles and all this from. So you 
pay, I think there was a fine line between mockery and paying tribute. I mean, Dallas was no high quality show, but this was, this seemed like a nod, <laughs> nod to like a clever thing they actually did. <laughs> hmm. Yes. So again, to sum it up, I mean, there are so many things at this point with so many characters, A, B, C, D plot characters that you have no idea what's going to happen with them. And this is the end of the season. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's great. It's I, great. It's front to back. This is a, I, I said it at the beginning here. It's a perfect season of television. Uh, it ends with you wanting more. I mean, oh, so, so much more. You so want all, at least uh, resolution all, of something. Because yeah, all the threads we were dealing with in this season culminated in this last episode. The Mill, uh, the Renaults, One-Eyed Jacks. And there's just like a few strings still left. Like, what's going to happen with Audrey? Holy crap, is her death, you know, like, going to Game of Thrones this shit, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, do you wanna, going back to how you said this was a perfect season of television, I'm going to do some of the, the, the receptions of this episode and of the series in general up to this point. Um, some of these are are you know newer ones of people going back i'm even going to go to some of the older ones but i'll start with the av club the av club keith phillips um rated the episode an a finding that the multiple cliffhanger plot threads worked well and didn't seem to go over the top or self-parroting um phillips himself felt the first season was quote a near perfect run of television further describing it as a quote stretch of greatness that for one reason or another couldn't be sustained but it was terrific while it lasted um, Al Roby's Andrea uh, LaVassor awarded the episode four out of five stars, adding with several characters being their fate in this episode, including two main suspects. The mystery of Leo of um, Laura Palmer's murder is even more uh, uh, puzzling and writing for Entertainment Weekly. Ken Tucker rated it a, a plus, finding that its lack of plot resolution offered, quote, a good kind of annoyance, showing the level of interest and commitment the series has inspired in its viewers. This was loved. This episode was loved, and it was by far probably the perfect cap to a season ever. And it was probably one of the first times something like this had ever been done as well. Nothing had done this much on a cliffhanger before. And unlike now, where seasons don't mean a whole lot, you know, I think South Park's on what? Like almost fucking 36, 37 at this point? Yeah. Um, Because the way seasons work nowadays... Uh, on, on network television, you know, seasons would typically stop in May and wouldn't start up again till September. Now, this was a different eight-episode run. So at this point, it's only been two months of the story. And you got 22, you know, you got the 22% of available audiences tuning in to the final episode. Gives you an idea of how this was. And... You know, I, I want to get into a little bit, uh, you know, I'm going to bring in a little bit of my cast this movie um, uh, vibe into this podcast, if you don't mind, Joe. Oh, absolutely. Because, Go for be, it. Because I feel like there's things that I would have done very differently going into season two. The main ones I would have done is I would have like, made Leo dead and I would have made Nadine dead. I would have kept those characters dead because i would like to have seen the i think there would have been more drama uh with um seeing ed dealing 
with his guilt of Nadine's death um, and his continuance, continuing uh, love of Norma. I would have loved to have seen more about him kind of spiraling down into this, what do I do with myself versus what we got in season two. And same thing with Leo. What we got with Leo was atrocious in season two. It would have been better to have left him dead. Um, he doesn't do much in season two. <laughs> no, he doesn't do much of worth in season two. Um, I also probably would have left Catherine um, out. Um, although for what they were doing with the, it actually does make sense what they did with her. Um, even if it's as horribly racist as it turned out to be, probably could have been handled, you know, I mean, if it was differently. But those are two things that I would have done a little bit differently in terms of that. And the other thing I would have done differently is I would have had Audrey be confronted by Ben. Um, and because that's the other cliffhanger is that he's coming in to fuck the new girl. And he's walking down the hallway and she can see him through a mirror and he can't see her and she knows it's her dad. I would have had those two get confronted in season two and seen where that would have gone versus what we got. Um, but I think that was probably the original intent. But given what was to occur uh, uh, behind the scenes at that point and the fact that because of Laura Flynn Boyle, we didn't get the love affair of Cooper and Audrey. Um, I think that's why they did it that way. Kind of keeping her away from Cooper for a majority of that first part of the second season. Correct me if I'm wrong. They kept her away from almost all the whole season. Yeah. Season yeah. And, uh, I agree. I, I 100% agree. I think Leo should have been dead because they really don't you. He's, he's more of a plot device than anything in the second season. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, he just doesn't do anything. It's kind of pointless that he's even around. Uh, yeah, Nadine, I think, would have been more powerful if they had ended it with that. Because, uh, like, what you said, like, uh, with Ed dealing with it, I think they kind of realized that they should have done that. And we get that with later on with Harry after uh, Josie goes. Yes. Yes. Uh, we kind of see that. And I think that's kind of like them trying to make up for, like, oh, we should have just had this be Ed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And then, like, uh, to jump on your bandwagon, what I would have done differently with season two is uh, I would not have forced David Lynch and Mark Frost to reveal the killer, making them walk away from the project and making the last half of that season a complete fucking train wreck. No. Uh, that's that's just what I would have done. And and the other thing I would have done is I would have made it a 20-some episode season. I would have given them that leeway of let's make it another two-month-long season yeah. coming again in, in, in April. Well, April, you know, the beginning of April and at the end of May. I would have allowed them to truncate it. Yeah, make it a solid, again, like eight or nine episodes. The thing is, it's like this is – it's hard to sustain this momentum – and with a 20 episode TV show, absolutely, as such a singular focus, it's not like shows like Bones or like uh, Law and Order where it doesn't matter how many episodes you have because they really don't connect often from one episode to the next. This really should have stayed very tunnel visioned, mm -hmm. and I think that's uh, 
yeah, so when they were given 20 and they're like, okay, I think they just, it burned them a lot. I think it burned them out. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, um, as much as I love the next episode we're going to be reviewing, which is the season two premiere, mm-hmm. you, you feel the burnout. You from, absolutely from feel Lynch, the burnout. You feel it from the direction. You feel it from Lynch and Frost with the writing. You feel it from the actors who are just, you know, now their star is blowing up. They're gonna have, they have all these other projects they're doing too. It's just, it was just exhaustion, I think. I would completely agree with you on that. Um, that that's exactly what that was. And um, I, 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 I can't argue with any of what you said there. Um, I wouldn't have forced them to, to do the killer um, and to do these long things. And, I mean, that's just, I mean, what you had was gold. And the, the, the ABC really, after coming off of that, you know, the, 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 the accolades that was this final season or this final episode is also what's somewhat of its undoing. It's hard to capture lightning in a bottle twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's exactly what the first season was. Season two was never going to be able to top it. It's just, and as try as they might, and as much as I love the return, they'd never top the original first season either for me, at least. No, I, I would agree with that. I, I would agree with that. I, I, I like the return, but nothing was as good as this first season. Um, this first season was amazing was absolutely uh, just amazing and um so yeah i would completely agree with that but yeah those are those are the small things i would have done a little bit differently in terms of um handling what i what we would have would have changes i would have made to the writing going into season two um i don't know uh if you want to again um not necessarily jump on that or, you know, make, uh, you know, anything else in that, but I, I can't really say much more other than I, I loved it. Um, it's, it, it's, you know, I had so much fun rewatching, like you and I both, we rewatched this whole thing mm-hmm. one, once a year. Um, you have a more set time than me, but I at least make, I make sure I rewatch it just because it's, it's my thing. And it's just, yeah, these, you know, the pilot up until episode seven, technically eight, it's just, it's so much fun. It's a lot of fun and it's a lot of mystery. And we get and a lot of things that are so synonymous with Twin Peaks, you get very little of it. We only see the Red Room once. Mm-hmm. Yes. We see the little man once. We see Bob a handful of times. A handful of times handful of times um but yes i i do i um in uh, february i think it's uh what is it february 23rd um is when laura palmer dies with february 22nd uh what uh it's twin peaks day um yep. so actually when we recorded our very first episode yes um that's when i uh, yes i'm sorry it's february 24th February 24th is when I watch the show. Um, when he says it's 11.30 a.m., I'm driving in the uh, February 24th. I'm driving in the Twin Peaks. Um, now, Twin Peaks Day, when we first started, when we did our first episode, was actually the 
the day uh, Laura Palmer died. Yes, yes, yep. And so I, you know, just have to say, fucking love it. Um, so that's when I go back and rewatch it. Now, uh, this year's a little bit different with me because I'm watching it before the podcast. Um, so, like, when we watched I only watched those two episodes. Today, I only watched the last episode, but I actually watched it twice. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it twice today um, in order to, to get it up and, and, and going. I... You know, I yes, you and I love this show. This is our mythos. This is kind of the um, uh, the, the the fantasy world that I wanted. You know, really got into, and that's why I love the secret history um, and really being able to end the, the the final dossier of really being able to what is it and what is going on. And I will honestly go forward and say that the next episode, which is going to be another, we're only going to do one episode again uh, next week. Yeah. Um, which is going to be um, episode... I'm, I'm just going to go season one, episode two. People will call it episode nine. I'm just going to go season, season two, two ep- episode one. May the giant be with you. That is arguably up there with episode three, Zen, um, my favorite episode. Yes, it's David Lynch is back in the director's seat. Uh in fact, he directs the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, he does. And frankly, we do have a pretty good run of episodes here. Uh, it goes up until the seventh is the reveal. Next few episodes are all right, and then it becomes the shit show. <laughs> until Epis- episode ten is when I is when the drop really hits in my book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, the other thing I would have done differently. Knowing what we know, I would have not have done the. I would. I really, really fucking hate. And I think we could talk about this now. Um, that we're through the first season is what they do with Lucy and Andy. Yes, that is a. It's a tragedy. It season two, and uh, we get. Oh God, we get little Nikki, the demon child, with some of the worst CG in television history. We did get Dick Tremaine. Dick Tremaine. Motherfucking Dick Tremaine. You know what? I've Again, knowing what I know and re- rewriting it, what I would have done is I would have left it in that storyline of he didn't know, you know, because you find out that the reason why he's... You find out very early in season two, we're not giving too much away here, it's, you know, C-plot, B-plot, um, is that Andy went, is infertile. And... <laughs> yeah. I would have left that, but I would have made it more so where Lucy is like, no, it's yours. It has to be yours. And had played that dynamic versus bringing in fucking Dick Tremaine. <laughs> oh, God, I don't even remember. He he works at Horn's department store, he, too. He yeah. works in the men's suits. Yeah, God. Yep, yep. He sells men's <laughs> suits at Horn's department store. We're going to have to come up with a list of the worst characters in season two because it's Tremaine's up there with John Justice Wheeler. <laughs> oh, John Justice Wheeler. And honestly, Nadine. Yeah. Nadine, Nadine is up there. One, yeah. One of the characters that I loved in the first season and I grew to despise in the second season. And then 
relearned my love of her in the return. They did her justice in the return. They really did. And um I I would I would say I would also argue um oh who else is worth um well the entire James storyline. And oh, God I I almost feel like cracking a beer just thinking of that. <laughs> you know, so this is I, I think yours and I's anger of James is not from the actor. It really isn't. I give him shit. But honestly, he did good with what he had, especially in this season. Um, and I would have rewrote the character in the second season. But yeah, what his storyline is in the second season is so fucking bad. Yeah, it's, that... it's generally reviled by every Twin Peaks fan. Uh, I have yet to speak to somebody who's like, I didn't mind the James Evelyn thing, like it doesn't it doesn't exist it doesn't exist it's hated it's i mean i mean to the point where in my rewatches i actually fast forward through that shit because it has no semblance of anything with the plot yeah and it it, and the thing is it never was meant to and it was meant to be its own thing and knowing that there wasn't anything after season two and just how the storyline just gets fucking dropped one day. It's so fucking atrocious. My understanding is they were treading water after Lynch Frost walked away. And, uh, this was just basically a placeholder (laughs) just to keep the show going because they, they were kind of rudderless. Uh, All they had was like the plans for Wyndham Merle. And that's it. Like, I don't think Lynch and Frost gave them much more than that. <laughs> I mean, and when you look at a lot of it, that's the biggest sin of, of, of season two was that number one, it's like 22, 23 episodes. And after episode 10, it is nothing but filler. I argue that even the Wyndham Earl shit is filler. Yeah. It doesn't move uh, anything. The I show. Think, yeah. What's Wyndham, that? Wyndham Earl was. Probably, I think, uh, in the better hands of Lynch and Frost would have been more effective than he was. Absolutely. They bring him up right away in the second season. He's a looming force, and then it's just, you know, it the, the, the network crapped the bed by forcing their hand. You know, yeah. Like. <laughs> I, I, I would wholeheartedly agree that I, in, in the hands of Lynch and Frost, Winter Merle would have been better. Um, I, I, I don't doubt that at all, but what we got outside of the only thing that was interesting in, in season two is really, um, becomes one of our favorite characters is major Briggs. Yes. Briggs is a major, he's a major character and I love how they made him even bigger after Don Davis had passed on. Like he's Uh huge in the secret history he's huge in the return he's fucking for a, a character who's lo- like the actor's long dead <laughs> that they mm-hmm. made him like the pretty much the character who is the central mystery <laughs> yeah was amazing absolutely amazing absolutely amazing and so i you know we'll get into that but you know yes we have an enjoyable ride up till about episode nine, 
Nine and ten are going to start to get where we're going to start going, oh, shit. And then we're going to hit the cliff. Um, so, but yeah. before then, I'm going to especially enjoy next next week's episode of season two, episode one. Um, I am so looking forward to watching that episode. I might even do it when we're done here, when we're done doing the podcast, because I love that episode. I might fall asleep to it tonight. Oh, it's it's great. It's great. And uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, too. So, um, oh, uh, well, I want to, I, I, you know, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, I don't know if, um, if 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 Audrey's page is going to comment on this or listen to us or what, but that was awesome that we spoke <laughs> that I, I recommended a couple of podcasts ago to um, Joe to check out this website where this um, um, music that Audrey dances to where this person particularly um, takes that scene of Audrey dancing in the diner, the iconic, uh, the iconic scene and puts different music to it. And we had a talk with them and I, we were talking about the James singing scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, 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 the owner of that page said, ah, you know what? Luckily on my, uh, on my, on my box set, I'm, Oddly enough, missing that disc, so I don't have to see that. And I'm going, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Can we make a cut of the episode where we just cut that part out? (laughs) You know, I don't normally do video for this, but I might. I might splice that video in. Um, (laughs) And what's sad is I know this. I'm sure you know the story behind it, too. I don't want to get into it yet. Yeah, but we'll get into it because there's I, found, I found an article that I shared with Paul mm-hmm. stating that us being mad at the actor, saying that we shouldn't be mad at the actor was misguided. <laughs> it, it is, but but there's more to it than that, though. There is more to that, though. And I'll get into that as well, because I, as much as that article says that, I know some things that Lynch did. Um, with that and that James was not happy. <laughs> so, yeah. well, man, <laughs> it's his fucking falsetto voice singing that stupid song, man. Son of a bitch. God Son of it, a bitch. James. God damn it, James. You know, I, if I was the actor, I, if I was James, I would have quit. I would have quit. I would have said, fuck you. You're doing my character injustice. Fuck you guys. You can't do this. No offense, James Marshall, if you're listening. (laughs) No, none, no, none, none, none to him. It's it's not his fault. I really except except for your role in that song, which I'll never forgive you for. Oh, and we'll get to that in the episode. I do forgive him for, and I will talk about that um, because there were some things that he was not happy with on that song as well. So we'll get to that. Um, But no, I, I, you know, the thing is, is again. Joe and I are jaded. <laughs> we'll be the first to tell you we're two jaded fucks. But, and we've been going at it from a critical eye, but we legitimately love the series. We wouldn't be doing this podcast if we didn't. Yeah, no, we love Twin Peaks. We love it. And so when it does us wrong, we get mad. Mm-hmm. We get mad. And and here's the thing. It's it's now, you know, almost 30, 30 years. 30 years it was old. the 30th anniversary just uh, last week. It was the 30th anniversary. I didn't get to see Kyle MacLachlan's um, live stream because it was at a point where I was doing um, 
you know, getting going behind the scenes a little bit with with Voldemort being around. Yeah. I'm handling the kids' uh, distance learning. So I was helping the the kids with their distance learning during during that time. So I didn't get a chance to sit back and and watch it. Um, but you know, um, I, I would have loved to had I had the opportunity to. But yeah, it's the 30th anniversary. So you know, if you can't have and look at things critically and say what was right and wrong from 30 years ago you know you've got to have a sense of humor about these things and you know again i'm too critical joe you'll probably admit the same thing i can't be a fanboy of anything no i um twin peaks is probably the closest thing i'm a fanboy of Mm -hmm. i uh i you know i there's things that i obviously if at this point, there's things I pointed out jokingly and, you know, logistically, it's funny. Uh, but the first season, I don't have anything that really sparked my ire. No. That comes in season two. And I, look, I love Twin Peaks. Like Paul said, we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't love it. But it, it, it shits the bed so bad for me that I, it's hard for me to, like, it's going to be vitriolic, I think, after episode 10. Mm-hmm. We're gonna, that's why we're going to do it as a big chunk. Yeah. We're just, we can't be angry every week. It's not good for our blood pressure. No, no. We'd, we do. We'd, be, we'd stroke out by the end of Evelyn's love triangle. And we're not going to make a decision right now, but we've already decided that we're not going to do it in two episode chunks. And I think as we get closer... And as we start doing this, we'll let it organically come come to fruition about how we'll handle that. Maybe it's a storyline. Maybe it's just okay. During this episode, we're going to talk about this this the you know the Dick Tremaine storyline, and maybe we'll talk about the uh, the the James storyline, and maybe we'll talk about um, the the Nadine storyline on a separate episode, and maybe we'll talk about the Norma storyline, and maybe we'll talk about the Shelley storyline, and hey, just kind of. I- there's not a lot to even talk about. It's the weird thing about those episodes is there are a lot of them and nothing really happens. It's <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I'm going to get really harsh here. So again, if you're a giant tricks, twin peaks fan and you cannot handle criticism, go ahead and stop the podcast now, but I'm going to equate it to a spinning clogged toilet. Not, it doesn't work and nothing goes anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That is exactly after Lynch Frost walk away, I don't blame them. If I was, this is their baby, and uh, you know, it's <laughs> it treads water. It when it should have just sunk. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they should have like if yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we love it, but we're gonna point like we point out like this. If you've been listening the whole season, we make fun of things, but it's in good good humor. Absolutely. That's going to change. <laughs> it's going to change after the reveal. It's going to change after the reveal. And, and and you know what? I don't think anyone's going to fault us for that. That's involved. That was involved in the project. If anyone comes across this and listens to our podcast, because there was a lot of animosity running yeah, around they, behind the scenes. Yeah, they weren't. Nobody was really happy. After no. Frost, Sherilyn Fenn has, you know, she's probably like the only one who's really been pretty open about the post Lynch Frost stuff and that she was pissed mm-hmm. <laughs> and she, uh, she, she doesn't like it. Uh, and I, you know, like I wish more of them were more candid like that. They, a lot of them backtrack now and say like, well, you know, 
Lynch and Frost didn't really leave. And, like, I hate this, like, retconning history that they're trying to do. Yeah. A lot of this happened in the lead-up to the return because, you know, they're trying to get good PR. But people have to remember, like, Kyle McLaughlin was so mad that he... Lynch had to rewrite Fire Walk with me because yes. he didn't be in it. <laughs> and you have to understand that 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 Lynch and, Kyle, and McLaughlin have had a, a great relationship over the years. Yep. And he needed a break yep. from all this, from, from that experience. That, yeah, they had to rewrite Fire Walk with me. And, I mean, they've done a lot of projects together. Yeah. Um, and how was Kyle's... Uh career has start like his first movies were dune and blue velvet then he goes right into twin peaks and then then does fire walk with me but he also does showgirls (laughs) oh okay i'm gonna i gotta put that i gotta add that to my list for the joe down (laughs) i gotta add that to the list for fucking cast Cast that but i'm gonna say this you know he walked out and you know when the, what was what what and everyone that was involved and I was because I've actually looked into this forecast that movie because it's one on our list of of one to do, um, is that they were this is a, this is a a prime example of what I've talked about if you've listened to a lot of the cast of movies and again we're gonna go the next one that's gonna be releasing tomorrow morning, um, along with this podcast will be releasing tonight, um, is that. Actors sign up for a script that they're given, and then when they get on set, the script's changed. And this is something that has been a plague in Hollywood for a long time. And um, you know, Ghostbusters two, or now, or Ghostbusters, now, no, not Ghostbusters two, but what is it? Ghostbusters um, answer the call. It's called now. That's what it's called now. The reboot. Um, basically, very similar situation where. Paul Fig didn't even, and the writers didn't even bother to have most of it written. They had an outline and they went with fucking um, um, ad libs for a majority of the movie. Which is, I mean, I don't mind that movie, but it, the magic of the first Ghostbusters is Bill Murray's the only one who does that. Yeah. <laughs> you got to have at least a good, like, you can't have everybody throwing spaghetti at the wall, you know? My, my the biggest to me with when it came to, because I watched. Ghostbusters one and two, my, my, my daughter. And then we watched, she went and saw answer the call and she hated it. My, my daughter hated it. She hated answer the call and which was really disappointing to me because she actually really loves the Ghostbusters universe. My daughter does. And you know, my, the biggest thing, all they had to do, and there's been many articles about this. And I said this from the get go, why, why I was upset with it was all they had to do was make the Katie McKinnon character the grand the daughter of Egon. That's all they had to do. That's and all now, they're, now, they're, now they're just doing that with the new reboot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what they're doing with the new reboot. That's all they had to do. And you would have appeased everybody. It wouldn't have been so fucking ridiculous. Oh, and I man. and I really blame that movie. Now obviously there were incels. Obviously, there are man children. How dare you take these girls and put girls in and blah blah blah? These man children. Fuck those people. Okay, fuck those people. They. I. I don't speak for them. I. I really don't. But on the flip side, I will say that I also really am upset 
that Paul Feig tried to make this a marketing thing and about women's empowerment, not Ghostbusters answer the call. That was the wrong movie to do that with. Yeah. Oh, shit. Because it wasn't good. It wasn't good. And, uh, you know, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, it's a 74%. And you look, and this is for a long time, I had a problem with Rotten Tomatoes because it was at like a fucking 60. And then overnight, it jumped to like a 74 somehow and got a fresh rating. Sorry, that's not a fresh movie. There's issues abound with that. And, I really blame that movie for creating this toxic atmosphere that's out there right now um, with, you know, everything that's that's going on um, in, in that in that universe that I've just kind of had to walk away from and just go, whatever, I'm not going to be a part of these fucking dramas, these drama stories. Um, but we went way off track here. Point is. Showgirls was not McLaughlin's fault. He actually walked out um, of the uh, of the premiere because he was so pissed at what he had signed up for, what he was told the movie was going to be, and what it turned out to be. And same thing with um, Elizabeth Berkley. Same, I mean, she didn't walk out, but she was absolutely furious. And everyone that was involved in that movie was furious about what they were given, what they filmed, and what was put on screen. Who made that? Because it, it's somehow it's found a new life as a cult classic. Well, so um, I can't. Re- I'll, I'll look it up right I'll now. Look, I'll look it up here while you. No, I'm doing it right now because it actually was a famous director that why yeah. why um, Paul Verhoeven wasn't it? What's that? Paul Paul Verhoeven who did Verhoeven. Total it's Verhoeven. Yep, did Total Recall. He did RoboCop. He did a lot of like these really cool. Yes, he did Star Trek Troopers. He did Basic Instinct. He did Total Recall. He did RoboCop. Um, so yeah, when Kyle McLaughlin, and everyone signed on board, they were like, "This is, this is fucking awesome." Um, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, everyone was super excited to be on board for it, and it ruined everyone's career. Really, I mean. Yeah, he had Super (laughs) Well, no, I mean, even even his, because afterwards he did Super Troopers, uh, or excuse me, Starship Troopers, which he was already signed on, which he was already signed on to do. But then after that, he didn't. He had he got one thing with Hollow Man, which was panned, and then movie. Yeah, and then he did Black Book, and um, a a video for. Star Trek Trooper, um, and then nothing till 2012. Um, so no, it yeah, I guess yeah. <laughs> really, really, really hurt everyone involved. I mean, Gina Gershon, her star went, her star power went down. Kyle McLaughlin's star power went down. Um, uh, Elizabeth Berkeley, poor thing, that was her first, you know, in there, and she trusted that guy to do it. Everyone also else was so excited. She is so excited, and now she's scared. And now she's scared. I'm so scared. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin to me, I mean, I want to just go through real quick and just, I mean, okay, he did Twin Peaks, right? Um, he did. It was he talked about Blue Velvet. He did um, uh, Dune. Um. Uh, he did the Twin Peaks. He was in a Tales from the Crypt episode. Um, 
he uh he remember oh god he was in the Flintstones. Do you remember that? Yeah, we did that in the joke. <laughs> okay, so yeah, he was in that. He uh, uh yeah, his career took a dive, but he actually like with some bit roles because he ended up like on what was it, like Sex and the City, the City. And stuff. Yeah, he ended up it, with Sex in the City, and he ended up he ended up being one of my favorite characters. He was the mayor on uh, Portlandia. Portlandia, he was great in Portlandia. Yep. He was, um, he was, he uh, like a new life. He kind of, yeah, showgirls didn't help, but he was oh. able to recover. And then he did Desperate Housewives for years. Yeah. So he was able to pull himself out of it. Yep. Unfortunately, nobody else really involved with showgirls. No. And he was the captain in How I Met Your Mother. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, he did a lot of things and he's freaking, he's great. I, 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 again, I, he's awesome in Portlandia. Um, what, yeah, one of the best characters in Portlandia. Um, so yeah, he, um, he's actually got an upcoming project, um, in Atlantic Crossing where he plays President Roosevelt. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, Showgirls, yeah, I think we talked about when I guessed on cast that movie, uh, the Super Mario Brothers was another instance where the, the script was completely changed from what everybody signed up for. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's a yeah. So and again, this is what this is what happens to Twin Peaks, right? You sign up for this, and then David and Frost, uh, uh, Frost and uh, Lynch walk, and then everyone else is given this new thing, and now your character's got new direction. Everybody was miserable. Yeah, you know, I mean, we'll get into it, but like Cooper is kicked out of the FBI or put on a hiatus, and he's, he's just like he's dressed like a lumberjack. Uh, <laughs> And Horn relives the Civil War. Or uh, John Justice Wheeler comes in because because oh, uh, Laura Flynn Boyle. Yeah, so for, we've been hint, we've been we've been pussyfooting around that. I think we can say that real quick, and then we'll wrap this up. Um, so in 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 between the end of season one and going into season two, Kyle MacLachlan and Laura Flynn Boyle entered into a relationship, and. The storyline was supposed to be that Cheryl, uh, that Cheryl Flynn uh, played Audrey and Cooper were supposed to have a relationship. And um, Laura Flynn Boyle was insanely jealous of this and didn't want to risk them having an on-screen relationship that could interfere with their off-screen relationship. So Kyle McLaughlin went to the writing team and said, Uh, I don't think there should be a relationship between Cooper and Audrey because he's an FBI agent. She's a high school student and that would just really go against character and blah, blah, blah. And people like, but Kyle, she's 18, blah, blah, blah. And everyone kind of knew what was going on and kind of empathized with Kyle a little bit on this and said, okay, we'll rework it. Um, so, so Audrey ended up really getting fucked by, by uh, Laura Flynn Boyle um, backstage politicking behind the scenes. Yeah, and uh, it doesn't surprise me that she never worked with Lynch again. Uh, That kind of stuff just... I believe she was invited for the return, but with a bit role. uh, Yeah, this is kind of stuff that Lynch hates. Mm -hmm. Uh, He does... If you're messing with his art, then fuck off is pretty much his... (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah yep um yep. so and, and he did try to get her back but they were but you know they were doing where the day takes you 
Um, and, um, you know, Laura Flynn Boyle, unfortunately, she is her own worst enemy. She, <laughs> History has proven this time and time again. Yeah, she um, just uh, a lot of I, I mean, I'm not going to get into it because it's just, it, you know, if you guys really are interested in it, you, you could dig it up there. Yeah, it's, but it's out there. <laughs> it's out there. And she unfortunately had a really rocky, um, I mean, and, and which sucks is, you know, she was talented. I mean, she was, uh, you know, she was in, um, well, unfortunately, her first couple roles, she was actually, her scenes were deleted. Did you know that? That she was in Ferris Bueller and she was in Dead Poets Society. <laughs> and, and both of her things were cut. Well, I mean. <laughs> yeah, but she really she's got her. Kind of proven that was probably maybe the right choice. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But she was in, um, you know, she was in a um, Poltergeist 3 um you know the rookie which was a big movie at the time wayne's world she played that but yeah i mean you would expected you know i mean she was supposed to be a really big star she was she really was in men in black wasn't she she was in men in black too mm-hmm. men in black too yeah so she was so she hopped onto a giant franchise only to never be asked again <laughs> yeah yeah the latest thing that she was in is a is a project called death in texas um which uh other than that you know, uh, she was in the practice for a while. She was on Ally McBeal very shortly. She was supposed to have a bigger role in that, and that didn't happen. Um, so, yeah, Laura Flynn Boyle did Laura Flynn Boyle. Um, and, you know, I mean, what do you expect from someone who, who dated um, David Spade and Jack Nicholson? Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. No, so back background part, <laughs> kind of uh, it derail it, you know, kneecapped some some of the elements in season two but i mean yeah it's uh this was a show that was lightning in a bottle people Mm -hmm. the stars are making demands now it's not this upstart nobody knows thing so but we'll get into that when we start watching season two next week yes sir um so I'll, i'll 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 just shoot us out here so um, you can check us out on the joedown.blog, uh, which Joe is the owner of, um, is the main website for everything that, uh, that of all, everything that we talked about here, cast that movie, the, 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 the Joe down, um, above a convenience store. There's a few other things that you're working on on there too, isn't there, Joe? Uh, there's things I worked on like years ago, but no, nothing really right now, uh, but we will probably have some other things coming up with Paul and I and other people involved. We've been spitballing ideas, but yeah, just keep an eye out. Yep. And then you can find us on um, on YouTube, um, which is the name of the show here, which is above a convenience store talking Twin Peaks. Um, and you can find us. We have a Facebook page as well. You can talk to us. Do that on uh, you guys for the Joe Down. You just did American Pie, right, Joe? Oh God. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And and Cool Hand Luke, which is one of my favorite movies. You and I were in film studies together. Yeah, and, at, and, at Tech. With the, yes, at Tech. Yep, yep. The, we had to watch that movie. Where we watched that and Shawshank. And Shawshank. Yep, yep. Absolutely. I personally love that movie. Um, um, I, I know you guys took some digs at it, but yes, there's a lot of Christ-like figures in that. What was your takeaway from the from the American Pie, Joe? Oh, God, it was the worst elements of the 90s. Everything was bad about it. 
Everything about that movie was terrible. It didn't it, age well, did it? It oh, didn't God. age well at all. I don't remember. I didn't even like it when it came out. Like I, I was baffled why people were like were telling me to watch it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember just being stone faced, staring at it, like, oh god, it's like I said in the review. It's they saw Porky's and Revenge of the Nerds, and they're like, what if we did the underdog story, but this time with the popular kids? I was gonna say this felt like it was trying to redo Porky's, and I saw that your guys's, uh, you know, when your guys's were talking about that in your review, and I was like, yes. Personally, I love Porky's. Um, yeah, that but Porky's was... wasn't the popular kids. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, Pee Wee wasn't, but Tommy was somewhat popular. They were fo- they were the basketball team. They were the yeah, basketball. Team. These guys were like, you know, these were like the bullies, and like we're trying yes. to be. <laughs> yes. They want yes. us to root for the bullies. Like, yeah, no, it didn't work for me. No, 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 not like Porky's. Because you, you could relate with Porky's in, in, you know, for what it was. And, again, the basketball, the popular kids were a little bit different back in back in the day. Um, but, yeah, I, I absolutely thought it was trying to retread Porky's. Um, so, all right. So that's where you can find us all. Um, so, um, Joe, thank you once again for doing this with me and moving it to every week. Um, especially during Voldemort. I love doing these podcasts. I um, do, do you have anything else to add, sir, for the everyone as before we go out? With chemicals, he points. 